0: Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. This is God's word. Hi again, everyone, and welcome once again to this gathering of New Hope Fellowship on this final day of 2023. Another year is quickly coming to a close. Can you believe it? And so as we prepare to walk into a new year, let's hear again one more time the final verse that Sunmi just read to us. New Hope, I hope that you will receive this word of blessing from our God. Our God, who is our good shepherd, the head of this church. It comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. Here is God's word to you, church. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. This is God's word to you. This is our hope as well as we enter 2024. 2024. This is our hope, church. The the promise of God's favor, of God's love, and of God's intimate presence with us. That's what he's promising us here. These are the final words that the apostle Paul wrote to a church in a Greek city named Corinth. He wrote these words in the letter that instructed those people and rebuked those people at points. That church that he was writing to had so many problems. There were fights going on in the congregation. Some members were living immorally. Their worship wasn't what it should be. They were falling short in so many ways. But, but get this: as the apostle Paul finishes this this in some way severe letter to them, when it gets to the end, he doesn't end the letter with, do better. No, instead, he ends with what is really a prayer. It's a prayer that reminds God's people that God will give them what they need to survive and to thrive. God promised to do it. He promised it to the church in Corinth, and he's promised it to us as well, New Hope. We've just spent the last two and a half months looking closely at our church covenants. It's this document here. As a reminder, a covenant is an agreement Uh, or a set of promises between people. A covenant, it spells out each party's commitments and responsibilities. Now, our church covenant spells out our commitments as members of New Hope Fellowship. It's a set of vows that the members of this church have taken to one another and toward God. And so if you've been here for this series I'm sure you'll agree that the commitments listed here are weighty. They're difficult. They require dedication and, and effort on our part. But today, as we wrap up this series in our church covenant, and that's what we're doing here, we're just wrapping up that series on the last day of the year, we're not going to be thinking about our commitments. Instead, we'll be thinking about the commitment that God has made to us. Because our church, our church covenant, it actually ends with these very same words from 2 Corinthians 13, 14 that Sunday read to you and I read to you. Here's the very last line of our covenant. It says, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen. Amen. This closing line reminds us of the covenant that God has made with his church. It reminds us of the unbreakable promises that the Lord has given to us because this is where our hope is rooted. This is where our expectations as a church need to be anchored as we enter into 2024. And it's why we can enter 2024 with courage. We can. And eagerness. Not because our commitment is so strong. Not because of our diligence or our dedication not because of our faithfulness, no, 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 but because of his. Our hope is that this prayer offered in faith will always be answered by our covenant-keeping God. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen. What, a, what, a, what better way is there for us to enter into a new year but, but to take hold of this promise? To embrace it and live in the light of it. The final line in our covenant is a benediction. If you've been around church for a long time, you've heard the word benediction before. It means a word of blessing, or in some some cases, a prayer of blessing. So throughout history, God has often given his people these strong words of assurance to, to strengthen them for whatever lay ahead. And one way that he would strengthen his people for what lay ahead is by giving them benedictions. You can see them throughout the Bible. In the Old Testament, for instance, the the high priest of Israel, he was required to pronounce this word of blessing, a a very particular benediction to bless the the, the Israelites at the end of the morning sacrifice. That benediction is found in Numbers chapter 6. It says there, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face upon you and give you peace. That's called the priestly breath blessing. And that priestly blessing is still used in Jewish worship to this day. And it's used in many churches to this day, including this one. Jesus himself... Ended did his own ministry on earth with a benediction. He he gave this parting word of blessing to all his disciples. It's in Luke 24. It says there, and he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. He pronounced a good word over them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. So, so in keeping with all those examples, that's why the apostles, when they write, these letters that make up so much of the New Testament, they would often end their letters with a benediction. And it's also why we, as a church, end our Sunday services here with a benediction. We begin our services with a call to worship, which is God's first initial word to us, calling us in to worship him together. And then we end with a benediction, which is a a kind of word of sending, a word that strengthens us and encourages us as we leave this place. So what better way to leave 2023 and to enter 2024 than to be sent by God with a benediction, a good word from him. And so today, what we're going to try to do is unpack this benediction that's in our covenant, at the end of our covenant and at the end of 2 Corinthians, and see what it means for us as a church as we start a new year together. We want to see what does this benediction promise to us. So here's the first thing it promises to us. It promises that the grace of Jesus is with you. The grace of Jesus is with you. What is grace? What's grace? It's a word we use a lot in church. Most literally it means it means favor, uh, kindness. It means goodness. But, it, but it's favor and kindness and goodness that's not earned or bought. It's just received. You know, earlier in this very same letter, the Apostle Paul talks about grace this way. He says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. In other words... Here's the grace of Jesus. Here's the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that's being promised to us. You want to know what it looks like? Here's what it looks like. Jesus emptied himself for you. He suffered loss, rejection, death for you. In in order to give you everything, he lost everything. In order to give you eternal life, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is seen so clearly and most clearly at the cross in his crucifixion where, where he died in your place and mine. And, and, and that grace is experienced personally when you believe in him, when you entrust yourself to his mercy, to his kindness, and you receive his favor. And you receive his forgiveness and his acceptance. And and as Ephesians puts it, you receive every spiritual blessing all by grace. But you know, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ doesn't end there. It did not end at the cross. And it doesn't end when you believe in him. No, no, no. As you begin to live as as a follower of Jesus throughout your journey... (laughs) you're going to need more and more grace, and you will receive more and more grace, more favor, more kindness, more goodness. That's why the the Bible says that his mercy is new every day. We get more grace every day, and that grace sustains us. It empowers us. It motivates and changes us so that even when you fail, you can confess that. You can confess your failings and your sin to him because in the words of James, he gives more grace. Oh, you failed again? He gives more grace. You've sinned. You've repeatedly let down yourself and others and failed to walk in, in allegiance to and faithfulness to him. He has more grace. And so he gives more grace. Grace. He never says, enough grace, you're done. When Paul wrote to this church in Corinth, in many ways, he was writing to a messed up church. But he had also seen that even in the midst of that messed up church, he had witnessed how God had had done some amazing things there. He had worked in them. they they had been saved out of uh, an immoral environment and and, and many of them had been been taken out of very sinful lifestyles. But he also knew that there was a lot more work to be done. And so in this letter, the Apostle Paul warns them and he instructs them and he confronts them where they need to be confronted. And he reminds them again and again and again of the grace of Jesus that's available to them. That grace of Jesus that's able to continue to transform them. And Paul knew this firsthand. Paul had personally found that that even in his suffering, when he felt so weak and burnt out, he had to depend on the ongoing favor and goodness of Jesus to preserve him. He told the Corinthians back in verse 12 that, uh, he had prayed for relief from some of his suffering. Life had gotten so hard for him that he's asking God for relief. But the Lord had said to him, quote, My grace is sufficient for you. I've got more grace for you, Paul, and it's enough. It's sufficient. In fact, my power will be made perfect in your weakness. So, so even when you feel weak and you feel like you're, you've had enough, The Lord gives more grace, and as a result, you realize that his grace is enough to sustain you. You see, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ saves, but it also sustains for the long journey of life. The Apostle Paul knew this, and so he wrote in that same letter, he wrote these words in 2 Corinthians 9, 8. He said, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times you may abound in every all good work. New hope, as as we enter this new year, we are not left to ourselves. We're not left to our own competencies and strengths and talents. The Lord is able to make all grace abound to us. So as you look at what you're walking into this year with and you think about the fact that maybe you're not walking into this year as strong as you would like to. Maybe your job is in peril. Maybe your bank accounts are depleted. Maybe your investments have not been returning the way you had hoped they would. Maybe your relationships are weaker than you wish they were. Don't evaluate your resources just in terms of those things. Be real about that. Look at that. But then look at God and say, but, 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 but. He told me that he's able to make all grace abound to me. So that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, I may abound in every good work. That means that we will have everything we need to obey him this year. We will have everything we need to do every single thing he calls us to do this year. To face every single challenge. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is with us. That's the first promise in this benediction. Here's the second promise. The love of the Father is with you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is with you. And the love of the Father is with you. When you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and you received his saving grace, you were adopted into the family of God. And so that means that God is now your father. And oh, how he loves you. Oh, how he loves you. You don't know how much he loves you. But he tells you that he loves you. And he's shown you. And here's how he's shown you. Here's how he's shown me. For starters, First John 4.9 says, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. He sent He lost, he parted with his only son in order to make us his sons and daughters. That's how much he loves us. You see, that's the God the Father's love for you. It's that kind of love. That's the kind of love that's willing to pay a cost for you. It's the the kind of love that's willing to lose everything for you. He's always loved you, you know, even when you didn't realize it when you didn't give it a second thought, before you knew anything, he loved you. You know, you might think, we might think at times that Jesus died so that God would love us. Like Jesus' death somehow activated God's love for us. But no, 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 that's all wrong, it's backwards. Jesus didn't die so that God would love us, he died because God loves us. Jesus died because God loved us. Look at what it says in Ephesians chapter 2. It says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, we wanted nothing to do with him. We didn't even know who he was or why he mattered. Not really. But even then, Because of the great love with which he loved us, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Oh, how he has loved you. There's a word that's used over and over in the Bible to describe God's love. It shows up over 200 times in the Bible. It's the word steadfast. Steadfast love. They go together again and again, over 200 times. And steadfast, it it means unwavering. It means unchanging. It's fixed. It's firm. Steadfast love. And it's really just one word in the Old Testament Hebrew. The word is hesed. Hesed. Steadfast, unchanging love. We, We might tend to think of love. Some of us are cynics. And it's not a coincidence that we're cynics. We've been hurt. We've been disappointed. We've been abandoned, perhaps. And so we think of love as something tricky, something fragile, and it's here today and it's gone tomorrow. We can't trust it. It's fleeting. When someone says, I love you, you're, the, the, the red flags go off in your head. And you think, really? We'll see. Do you really? Perhaps you even question your love for others. You say, I, I love this person, but, but I don't know how long that love will last. After all, people fall in love. They fall out of love. I've seen it. I've experienced it. People have told you they loved you, and then they've left you alone, abandoned. That's not hesed. When God uses the word steadfast love, he has something else in mind altogether. It's a whole other category of love. You see, hesed the love that God has set upon you, Is unchanging, unfleeting. It's fixed. And some of us, we feel nervous about God's love toward us. Maybe it is because of those experiences. We wonder how long he's going to love us or how much he loves us or will he still love us if we do this or that or if we let him down one more time. Are you nervous about God's love for you? So you don't have to be you don't have to be haunted by your past failures he knows all those past failures in fact he knows even your future failures and get this he knows whether your future failures are actually worse than your past failures and still he loves you Romans 8, 38, the Apostle Paul says this, oh, that God would give us this kind of certainty in God's steadfast love, the kind that Paul expresses here. He says, I am sure, I'm certain that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus Our Lord. Nothing overpowers, has said, love. Nothing nullifies God's steadfast love. And so when we hear this promise, the love of the Father is with you, it means it will always be with you. New hope, as you walk into 2024, you're not alone. You're loved. You're not on probation with God, the Father. He's not saying, oh, here we go. Starting a new year. Let's see how he or she does. They're on their last leg. We'll see. We'll see how they do. He's not frustrated or tired of you. He's not considering other options. He has promised you his steadfast love. That means that you got nothing to prove. That means that as this new year begins, you can work hard and you can take risks and you can live generously and you can live with humble confidence and freedom because the one who made all things and owns all things has set his steadfast love on you forever. What a promise. That's the second promise. And here's the third one in this covenant. There's the promise of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and finally the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Here's the promise, New Hope. The fellowship of the Holy Spirit is with you. Church, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, the Bible says. That means that we are uh, the the dwelling place. We are where the Holy Spirit lives. Where God, the Holy Spirit, lives. That means that the Holy Spirit, God himself, lives in us corporately together as a community. And it means that he lives in us personally as individual followers of Jesus. That's what it means to, to, quote, have the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. It means to have the Holy Spirit living in us as a community and in us as individuals who know Jesus and brought into the family of God. Fellowship, it's a word that can sound kind of like Christianese, like you only use it in church environments, right? You don't usually use it in the workplace. You're not necessarily talking about like, oh, uh, we're going to have some fellowship after today's, uh, you know, they, you don't call happy hour fellowship hour, right? There's a, there's a reason for that. It's, it's kind of like a Christianese word. But the, the we only use it about church events. But the, the word that Paul uses is actually very down to earth. It's a very practical word. And it's not just related to church events. This word for fellowship can also be translated as, as, as community. Communion or community. So, so think about it this way the fellowship of the Holy Spirit means, on the one hand, that we can have this deep connection with Him. He, him, he's not a, the Holy Spirit is not a force, He's God, He's the third person of the Trinity. And we now have a deep, personal, intimate connection with God who lives in us. And, and we now have a deep connection with one another as a community because God lives in each of us and and unites us to one another. So once again, New Hope, as you walk into this new year, you don't walk in alone. The Spirit of God lives in you. The Spirit of God lives in you. Not just a force, not just... God himself. We face the new year with him. And, and we get to face it together as a community. A community of redeemed, spirit-filled people. So that means that wherever we go, the Holy Spirit goes with us. To guide us. To encourage us. He goes with us to serve and to impact people who we touch so there you have it New Hope the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit is with us all amen amen that is certain that is certain and and that's important because what lies ahead for us in 2024 is uncertain we don't know what this year is going to bring but the signs aren't all that great Instances of depression and anxiety are rising and some of us we don't need to look at stats to see that We can look at our own lives and we can see depression and anxiety up on the rise in our own households in our own minds and souls But but it's true in our schools and it's true in our neighborhoods and we see that too Got elections coming up and Wars ongoing are we going to face illness this year as a nation or even in the, are we going to face serious illnesses as a church we don 't know Are we going to experience deep loss as a church this year we don 't know but but here I, I think this is an even bigger question: Will we live in light of this promise from God this year? Will we live Taking hold of and living in the full light of this promise that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit is with us all. There's a difference between knowing this benediction and even agreeing with it. There's a difference between that and actually living like it's true, right? Like there's a difference between knowing, yeah, I get the promise, I hear it, you. explained a little bit. I think I understand it. But there's a difference between that and actually accessing the grace. Accessing the love. The fellowship. In real life. Experientially. Oh, there's a big difference. I I recently read about a woman named Kathy Boone who died in 2020. She lived in Oregon and she actually spent the last four years of her life living between the streets and shelters. She was homeless for the last four years of her life. And she finally passed away tragically in a shelter. And soon after she passed away, it was discovered that her mother who had died four years earlier had left an inheritance for her. There was a bank account with $884,447 dollars sitting in it, set aside for her, and she did not know it. And so as she bounced between shelters and nights on the street, getting sicker and sicker, weaker and weaker, and finally passed away, she passed away not knowing that this inheritance was hers. Almost $900,000 deep deep tragedy it's crazy isn't it? It's crazy I think what would make it even crazier is it would make even less sense if if she knew that this inheritance was there if she knew that these resources were present and waiting for her but she never took the time to claim them to, to access them that would be more than just tragic that would be unexplainable wouldn't it? I think that it's quite possible that many of us live that way. That is, we can live as if we are depleted, alone, as if our resources have been tapped. We can live overwhelmed. Overwhelmed by challenges and grief. Overwhelmed by intrusive thoughts that we can't seem to get rid of. And we entertain those intrusive thoughts far too long, and they're dangerous to us. We're overwhelmed by anxiety and fear, not realizing or perhaps neglecting the reality that God has made these promises and that these promises are money in the bank. They are as sure as money in the bank. So what we need to do I'm convinced is not just know that these promises have been made to us but we need to actually uh, apprehend them we need to internalize them we need to take hold of them. In the old days these words have kind of fallen out of fashion to some degree but in the old days pastors used to use the term means of grace. Means of grace. The means of grace. These are the things that we can do, that we can participate in, in order to receive the grace of God, to experience the love of God, to experience the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. There are things like taking in God's word and meditating on it. Things like gathering as a church, taking the Lord's Supper together. Things like prayer. These things were called means of grace. They are not Automatic. That doesn't mean that anytime you open a Bible or you show up on Sunday, God is thereby required to automatically dispense grace at you. The means of grace are not like a, 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 a candy machine in that regard. You do it and the grace automatically comes out. It's not that. But what the means of grace, like reading the scriptures and gathering and praying and worshiping together, they're means, they're, they're like tools. That God uses to give us grace and that we use to receive God's grace. It's where God meets us in a sense. He uses these, these means to give and give and give and we use these means to receive and experience. I like gathering as a church. How does that happen? We, we get together as a church and we're, we're saying, Lord, Lord, you've promised that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of the Father and the, 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 the fellowship of the Holy Spirit are, are with me. But when I show up here, I want to experience that. I want to experience that. And I want to be part of that for other brothers and sisters. And so as we gather and we hear the promises, for instance, we're reminded of them. We sing them together. as we take and eat and drink together at the Lord's table, as words of encouragement and words of, uh, of, of, of like strengthening words are shared between us, as people pray for one another, as people simply give each other whatever they give each other, what happens? In those moments, we're experiencing the grace of Jesus Christ. We're experiencing the love of God through our brothers and sisters. We're experiencing the fellowship of the Holy Spirit because he's present in our brothers and sisters as they seek to just engage us. And it works in the other direction too. Same thing goes for when we read God's word. We're not doing this again because God is somehow looking at us and saying, okay, 2024, let's see how Rob does reading his Bible. Let's see how far he gets this year. And God's got a paper, you know, he's got a, a clipboard and he's keeping track. Let's see how we do No, no, no. We engage in reading God's word because we believe that in the engaging of his word, as we take in his word, we are actually experiencing firsthand the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father here coming through his communication to us in his word and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. As we study his word individually and in our discipleship groups, in our care groups, together in our families, And so I want to encourage us to take hold of the means of grace in this coming year. Not as an end unto unto themselves. I want to encourage us to take hold of these means of grace because what we really want to take hold of is the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. That's what we really want is God himself. We'll talk more about Bible reading next week. But this today, I just want want to encourage us to seek to make 2024 a year in which we engage in prayer in particular. Engage in prayer and see it as a way to take hold of this promise from God. As we bring to him our needs, as we thank him for the ways that he's meeting our needs, as we bring to him the needs of others, I believe that as we do that individually as families and, and in community together, we will more and more experience what God has promised to us in this, in this benediction. And so I want to give you a couple of resources just quickly. One of them is, uh, this is an app that Tim actually shared with our discipleship group. And I want to pass it on to the rest of you, PrayerMate. Um, you can look at the next slide. PrayerMe is a, it's a, it's a simple app, but it's it's pretty it's pretty robust. It allows you to make many kinds of prayer lists. You can set alarms and reminders to help you pray, to remember to pray. You can pray prayers from the Bible, like written prayers from the scriptures. Um, there are lots of prompts that you can find that'll help you know how to pray for the different people in your life. You can track those requests. I would encourage you to to download it, it's free, and just start messing around with it and commit yourself to use it if you find it to be a useful tool. You can set a reminder to pray at the same time every day, morning, afternoon, evening. But for those of you who maybe um a little less uh, tech savvy. Maybe you don't want to use an app. I want to suggest a book to you. Actually, I would suggest this to you, especially if you're really tech savvy and you feel yourself like you're like tethered to your phone. You're constantly on your phone. Maybe the last thing you need when you sit down to pray is your phone in your hand, right? Maybe that's the last thing you need is access to a device. Maybe what you need is maybe access something like this. I want to recommend this book to you. It's called The Diary of Private Prayer. It's one John Bailey. It's an old book, but this version that I have here, I have several copies of that I'd love to give away for anyone who wants them. Um, it was updated and revised by a woman named Susanna Wright. And by updated and revised, what it, it's more than just updated and revised. I think that what this sister did was she took some liberty with the content, frankly, but I think she did it in a way that many of you may find really helpful um, in ways that I have found very helpful. This does not feel like a 19th century prayer book in a bad way. It feels timeless, but also feels very fresh and very relevant and and, and, and helpful for me right now. So this book has been um, a, a good companion to me over most of 2023. And I wonder if some of you might find help from this book and it might become a daily companion for you in 2024. Um, th- for each day, there's a morning prayer, And there's an evening prayer. And there's 31 of them per month. So you can keep going through them over and over. That's what I've been doing. Go through them over and over again each month. And there's a page for you to journal. And you can write down some other prayer items, some other reflections, whatever you want to write on a blank page. But here there's a morning prayer. and And then the evening, there's an evening prayer. And you can just cycle through them. I have not found them to get old. I find that the more I go back and I pray these same prayers again and again, the more impactful they are for me. So a diary of private prayer, I've got maybe ten copies here. Please take one if you want and use it. You know, many of us, when uh, it's very typical for us to end the year with New Year's resolutions, right? I don't know how many of you have resolutions. I have come to feel that making resolutions—I'm not saying it's a bad thing—but I feel internally sometimes like making New Year's resolutions for me just feels like me telling myself once again, "Do better, do better." So I want, I want to suggest to you, how, how about instead of telling ourselves to do better in 2024, what if we tell ourselves, let's lay hold of the promises of God. Let, let's, let's seek to experience firsthand the fulfillment of this promise, that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit are with us. As we end today, I want you to notice just one more thing about this benediction. I want you to notice the order in the benediction. You notice the Trinity in there, right? There's the the Son, there's God the Father, and there's the Holy Spirit. But usually when we talk about the Trinity, don't we usually say Father, Son, Holy Spirit, right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But in this benediction... It's the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son, is first, Then God, the Father, is second, and the Holy Spirit is last. Isn't that weird? We usually don't list the persons of the Trinity that way. Why is it in this order? The great H.B. Charles, pastor, preacher, offers this explanation. He says, this is the order by which sinners come to God. This is the order by which sinners come to God, end quote. You see, what he's saying is when you come to know God first, you experience the grace of Jesus. You realize that he died in your place for you, to have you. And by grace, you believe the gospel. And that's how you come to then experience the love of God the Father. As you're adopted into his family and you become his child. And then then now as a member of his family, you experience the fellowship the, the abiding presence of the Spirit who now lives in you and unites you to every other believer. Paul could have listed them differently for other reasons. I just think that may be the reason he listed them in this order here. And But I want to ask you, have you experienced this? Have you experienced this? Have you experienced the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you realized that he died in your place to have you? And, and, and have you been brought into God's family through faith, adopted as his child? And now, and now, are you experiencing the presence of the Holy Spirit intimately abiding in you? If you have not experienced this yet, now would be a great time to experience it. it it's available. It's open. It, it's, it's there. It's present for all who will have it if you will simply believe this year is not over yet. And so what we have read here is a benediction. It's kind of an ascending word, right? A, a parting good word. I, 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 would, I would encourage you to read it as a kind of invitation. An invitation in. As you walk into 2024, you are being invited to walk into 2024 as his child. Kept by his grace. Protected by his love. And known, guided by his spirit. Last week, I said that trusting obedience to God will always cost you, but it will never cost you anything you really need. I believe it. It's true. But I would simply add this. God promises you everything you will need to follow him faithfully. His grace, his love, his presence. Let's take hold of this promise as we walk into the new year of church. Let's pray. Father, We thank you for your promises. We ask that you would not allow us to neglect them or forget them or live as if they are not true. We ask instead that you would move in us powerfully to take hold of these words that strengthen these promises that are yes and amen in Jesus. And we ask that you would help us to live in the light of your abiding, abundant grace and love and fellowship. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.